Welcome back to The Rod, the podcast. It is Mike and Jordan back again, and we're here to break down the first four games of the Hurricanes and Bruins series. Jordan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I'd be doing a little better um, if yesterday and, I guess, uh, Friday night had gone a little differently. Um, I, I truthfully felt uh, coming out of game two that you're looking at two different teams uh, as far as a skill level and pedigree at, at this stage in their careers. Uh, I thought our predictions had, you know, played out pretty nicely. And, um, hey, this isn't going to be a doom and gloom pod. I think we both very much still feel like Carolina is the better team and will prevail. But, you know, a few of the things that we touched on that could send this series awry, special teams, uh, their veteran um, – experience it's coming to fruition right now and so i think uh, it's really you know as we talked before we got on here it's nice we got some content but maybe not the content we wanted what do you think bud sure i mean when we look at it you start off at home we'll we'll talk about those games first and you take the 2-0 series lead um canes win in pretty commanding fashion with that being said i think boston played better than some people gave him credit for um, there were some post hits, um, et cetera, et cetera. They, they played a better game than people were giving them credit for, and I expected them to play a little bit harder at home with the advantage of second change, et cetera. So. Yeah, game one, I, I think Antiranta was, was the difference early. I, I think Boston came out of the gates and was the better team. Um, obviously, we're in the third period there, and it's still tight, and Carolina pulled away in the end. But kind of what you'd expect from a game one. You know, the better team, as the game went on, kind of grinded it down. I was really impressed with Carolina's physicality in game two. And I, I thought really that entire time um, they looked the better team. And so, as I alluded to earlier, kind of riding a high into game three, I anticipated a big push at home uh, from that group. You know, obviously had a lot of success in their careers, with a lot of pride. Uh, I think the difference, you know, other than the – penalties and the penalty disparity and penalty kill and the lack of the power play, which that's a lot of things, um, has been, you know, last change. And what a difference that has made going back to Boston with uh, the uniting of the perfection line. Uh, Otherwise, you know, I didn't think Carolina was bad in game three, and I really didn't think they were bad until about, what, the 18, you know, two or three minutes to play in the second of, of game four uh the shorthanded goal in game three kind of flipped it and they were kind of chasing it from that point forward but i kind of expected carolina to, to pull a split in boston if i'm being completely honest I, I thought they'd be coming back home with a chance to to close it and i very much felt that way until the barrage of penalties you know late in the second early in the third um happened in game three and, and then you know it's just a weird game you're 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 not rolling your regular lines. You're playing a lot of kill time, and it just takes players out of their rhythm. Uh, when Pasternak scored uh, to push it to four, I, I very much felt like that was the nail in the coffin, and it was. Yeah, and we talked game three. Um, we knew there was going to be a response from Boston. Home crowd behind them, the opportunity to have Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand on a line without having to consistently match up with Jordan Stahl. We knew game three was going to be a challenge. Like you said, I also was expecting it to be a split. I didn't think that the Canes were going to walk in and sweep the Bruins. The team is too experienced and has too much talent. With that being said, come game four, 
Hampus Lindholm is still out after the clean hit from game two by Andrei Svechnikov. And right before the game starts, essentially, we find out that Charlie McAvoy is now in COVID protocol. It's a it's very disappointing from my standpoint to see the team lose when they're missing their top pair of defensemen. You're talking about McAvoy, who's a huge piece of that puzzle. He's an engine for their team defensively and offensively. I mean, he's a 25-minute guy. I mean, that's a huge deal. To not have him and to not have Lindholm and for the team to come out and dominate like they did at the beginning, I thought we were cruising to a 3-1 series lead that game. And then, like you mentioned, the team implodes. It is it is 100% on the Hurricanes. I mean, they the penalties were what they were. Um, one or two of them might have been a little, like, soft, but the Bruins are a smart team, and they know when there's contact that the referee sees they're going to go down easy. And, I mean, it is what it is. The refs are calling it. You have to do that. There was one moment where Jordan Stahl took a penalty. He's in the box. He's talking to the ref. And you can read his lips, and he's saying, the difference is is he falls down and I don't. And then, not surprisingly, but within the next power play while he's in the box, they call a penalty on the Bruins, as they love to do in the NHL, to a little bit of game management. So it's, it is what it is, but the Hurricanes didn't react well, and um, we can talk about that right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about in game four, right? You, you look at the box score and it's nine power plays to five, but when you really think about it, and Rod flushed this out really well in his post-game press conference, it's really nine power plays to two. And I'm not going to sit here and play the ref game because, candidly, I thought the vast majority of those were penalties on Carolina. And is some of that reputation earned as a team that has a lot of minor infractions throughout games that get called? Sure. Is some of that being retaliatory. Yeah, I think it is. You know, is Fetch held in the offensive zone before he commits, commits the, they called it interference, but the cross check right at the, the goal. I, yes, that is absolutely a hold, but they're not always going to see it. So you can't just retaliate. That is a dumb penalty from a, a young guy, a guy that I'm a huge fan of. And, you know, I think this is a very much a Fetch Stan podcast, but that's just dumb. And, you know, in his fourth year, fourth playoff appearance, you got to know better than that. And it was so funny. I was watching the game and, you know, they're on the kill. Trocek with the really heady play to kind of walk the puck out of the zone. I was like, oh, what a great move. And then he flips it out of play. And I'm just like, oh, man, that, that's tough. Like, you can't do that. It's just, I don't want to call it careless, but just really self-inflicted wounds. And personally, I thought the um, the goaltender interference was too much of a 50-50 to be challenged. In my opinion, in that scenario, what do you do? You've been the better team the entire game, in my opinion, pretty handily. They tie it up 2-2 after, you know, your, your penalty woes, and they, they finally get one, right? Great. Instead of doubling down, as the favorite, I would much rather, instead of risking it and I think a factor into this is Rod goes, hey, my penalty kill has been great. And historically, they have been. But there was so much penalty kill time. Your your bodies are a little tired. The building was feeling the momentum of the moment. Hey, let's not double down. Let's try to get to the third period straight up. Don't worry about killing a penalty. Because it wasn't blatant to me. And you know what? I like Carolina's chances headed to the third 
two to two and how they played that day. To me, that is a panic move to challenge in that scenario. It's just a favorite shouldn't do that. You should have confidence in your guys. And I know it was fun that confidence to, you know, risk it, but I think you have confidence in your guys to play a period of hockey and straight up be beat a four seed, you know, a wild card team. Um, I just didn't think that was the right move at the right time. Um, undisciplined, it, it's frustrating, but all is not lost. I mean, let's, let's be completely honest about this. I, you know, they come back here with second change. Saul's line has been very much a neutralizer on Bergeron's. I don't feel bad about it. I think they're going to find themselves. The one thing Fetch said that I really agreed with was we're going to be fine. And I do believe the Canes are going to be fine. Um, a lot of fluky things happen in game four. Everyone's panicking right now. And, yes, there's stuff to be concerned about. And I think we're going to talk big picture reasons to be concerned as this playoff march moves forward. But as far as game four, I just think it was one of those weird games that, you know, some, you know, unorthodox things happening. You know, two five-on-threes. They, they score the five-on-three, and all of a sudden the clock switches from the goal to scored at 44 to 43. <laughs> like, what are we even doing yeah. here, guys? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to break down. And, and when you – circling back to the goaltender interference, Rod said he'd bet his life on it. And I understand that because when I watch the play, I think it's very clear that DeBrusque comes from the side, moves uh, Ranta's pad, which then – freeze the puck out, which then gets put into the back of the net. Where the shot was placed was where his pad was originally. And for all the people online that are telling me that Pesci was the one that made the contact that caused him to move, I don't see it at all being Pesci's pushed. I see Pesci stick there, and I think it coincides with the time that DeBrusque arrives. So if you look at it from that perspective, you could think, yeah, this is... This is uh, Pesci, but in my opinion, there's no chance. I think it's goaltender interference, but what I disagree with, and you touched on it, is that you can never bet your life on goaltender interference. Nobody knows what it is. It the It is one of the grayest areas in hockey, and to go out and risk not only the score staying at 2-2, but to go back on the penalty kill, it has to be absolutely undeniable and you can't have any gray area like it has to be blatant and I think it was goaltender interference I don't think it was blatant enough and I don't think the rules are black and white enough for Rod to take that chance because now we've got a 2-2 game they go on the power play Ajo takes a four minute with a high stick on a play where he's trying to lift the stick like it's just a, a bad situation I mean he's not making a bad play there he's trying to lick the lift the stick in the slot so I'm not upset about it but look at the turn of events now they have an extended five on three which they score on and like you mentioned they go back and instead of reducing it yeah they change the time so they go in they say the goal is scored here power play uh five on three expires and then they go back and review it and they add a second back onto the clock so instead of it going to a two minute it's now a two-minute and 50-something second penalty remaining. And that, I mean, I haven't seen that happen before, so I was just mind-blown by that. I mean, it is what it is. We can't harp on it, but crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. 
not even to say weird. Like it was just one of those things where say what you want about the penalties, like I've already touched on. I, I I didn't think they were egregious calls. I think Carolina actually earned a lot of their penalties, but I mean to manipulate the clock like that, that's something at a league level that you just don't see. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to play the whole, the league hates the canes, but I don't think the league's upset that this is going back to Raleigh four, four or two, two either. So, Hey, definitely not. One thing I do want to touch on, you know, the game ends how it does the, the power play or the lack of the penalty kill in the big moments was kind of the, the turning point And, we can talk about we've, – we've already mentioned all the things. Big picture, and I still have the belief that Carolina ultimately wins this series in five, or in six or seven games. I think there's a superior team. You give them two home games, I don't think they're losing two of three. Um, Going to need a big effort out of the fans tomorrow night at PNC. But I think if the, if everyone does what they're supposed to, Carolina wins. It's it just – no, sports can be weird, but I, I just fully believe that in my heart. Big picture, Mike, and this is the more concerning thing to me as the playoffs progress and you anticipate playing better teams should they have the opportunity to do that. Is this team built as a regular season team? Does the dump it in, heavy forecheck style of play work in the regular season? Because, candidly, teams don't play as hard and heavy in the regular season. Um, does, stylistically, does that work for four series? Do the Canes have enough star power? Because I think in the playoffs, it becomes more apparent that our stars aren't as big as stars as the opponent. You know, your, your Ajos, your Svechnikovs, they're not carrying teams the way they do in a regular season. Hey, we're only four games into this. They, they could switch it. But I think the real questionable thing is here, as the games get more difficult as they do in the playoffs. Does this style actually work or is this team really kind of capped as a really good regular season team? What are your thoughts? So to start off, like the, the playoffs are a war of attrition, right? So the big part of it is, can you stay healthy and dump and chase and heavy four check? I think it works. The question is, are you able to consistently win those battles? Because if you start losing them, it's just easy turnovers. You have zone exits, and then more often than not, you're potentially looking at an odd man rush the other way. So you have to win those battles consistently for it to be worth it. Number two, as you're continuing to do it, you're accumulating a lot of hits. Are guys picking up little nicks? Are they picking up serious injuries? Are you losing a guy for a substantial amount of time? A lot of that is luck. A lot of that is situational. So, you know, pros and cons, because I also don't think you can just try and be cute at, at the blue line every time because that's an even higher risk because if you have commitment pushing and you turn it over at the blue line, it's a much quicker, fast break back the other way. So I think, obviously, you can't just dump and chase every time when the ability to get in there and have a zone entry and get control, I, I think right. you do that. I think they've done it. Um, but when we're talking about the dump and chase and can it last, it really depends on can they hold up and continue to win the battles. I just worry in the playoffs as guys' effort level increases and the physicality increases. Yeah, you, you touched on the injuries. That's an extremely valid point. I just worry that for a team built as a 
speed skill team. One, it's kind of paradoxical that they play that way, but I think they're able to do it in the regular season because the speed kind of overwhelms people. I just think in the playoffs to needlessly potentially give away possession, when you have the skill to carry the puck into the zone, you know, they dump and chase more than any team in the league by a sizable margin. You know, I think at a certain point you kind of got to alter your style of play, at least with your higher skilled players, because I'm just not sure they're heavy enough to play this way as the playoffs progress. Um, and I think they have the ability skill-wise and speed-wise to stress opponents by carrying the puck in. Um, I don't know. I, I just worry that it's not conducive. Like I called it paradoxical. I, I'm just not sure it's conducive to smaller, faster players playing dump and chase when the game gets heavier but yet you have the skill to bring it in a larger majority of the time. And yet you're just doing it because it's like, that's not our style. And I don't know. It, it just seems like uh, convergent ideas and philosophies on how the game gets played and what you have, what you bring to the table in the playoffs. Sure. And I think at the end of the day, um, your system is designed to set you up for success what superstar players do is know when it's time to play out of the system. I don't think it's Rod's job to tell them otherwise. He has put in a system that's effective, that can win. It's up to Ajo. It's up to Svech, Turbo, Tro, uh, all these guys, Jarvis, Natchez when he's carrying the puck, to identify those opportunities and take advantage of when they come. It's not Rod's job to say, hey, if it's there, it's there. Like You and I both know from playing sports and – I've done some coaching as well. Like when, when you're in a sport, like I'm going to tell you how to set yourself up for success. You have to be able to identify in-game moments that you can take advantage of. And they're professional players. So if there is an issue with us utilizing dump and chase too much, I don't even blame that on Rod personally. I blame that on the players, I think. Complete, and I, I think Mike, that is an exceptional point. Because if we do know anything about Rod and his system, like he wants you to play a certain way. But this system in particular gives the players a lot more freedom than most. I mean, this is one of the more free-flowing teams in the league. So I think it's almost answering the moment for some of these guys and knowing when it's the right time to change it up, you know, take over a game a little bit more, stress people with your talent, skill, speed. Um, because if, if there's one thing, that's the arena in which Boston – can't really compete is you can stress them in that way, and especially their defense without Lindholm and McAvoy should really struggle with that. And I, I know you can make the argument that dumping and chasing should stress these lesser players, but these lesser players are slower and more physical. So you need to test them in different ways that doesn't cater to their abilities. And you know, that's just how I see it. And, you know, Rod and all these guys have forgotten more hockey than I'll ever know. It's just, I worry as the playoffs progress that this is not a, you know, advantageous system that, you know, leads to victories. But I think you are absolutely correct in the fact that putting it more on the players than the actual system. Yeah, for sure. And then to touch on the point, and then we talk about star players. Do we have enough star power? The star power is there. It's arriving when the moment is there, right? You can have a star player, but are you – are you a star when it's the hardest to be a star? You look at the perfection line, 
didn't play well in game one or well they didn't play together in game one but none of those players really played well in game one picked it up a little bit in game two some of them and then they got home and instead of pouting and getting in their heads I mean they exploded they exploded in game three and in game four I mean Marshawn had five points in game four and that's what star players do when their team was against the ropes they showed up so now it's Ajo's fetch tro I mean to be honest the best line we've had through four games is easily Nino Jordan Faust that that line and I mean some of the some of the passes from Jordan Stahl what are we talking about right now that that goal Incred- on the uh, goal like for this game one or two is I think the best pass I've ever seen him make it was incredible and they've been heavy Nino's been outstanding uh Jesper Faust also I mean it has been a dominant line I, I mean it that right line right there is everyone's not going gives me hope as they come home to Raleigh because they've been the X factor so far in the games that Carolina has won. Um, there is obviously more to give from Aho Fetch. I, I would even look into breaking up that line a little bit. I, I don't know if Carolina goes to its version of, I don't even want to call it the perfection line, but the STA line. Um, Mike and, let, let, let me pivot real quick. What are your thoughts on – it seems like the power play, and it's scuffled here at the end of the year, but the power play typically has been pretty good in the regular season the past few years. Gets to the playoffs, absolute dud. But after two – well, two and a half, three games, you're already switching up your units. And to me, it's very apparent that Seth Jarvis, has never played with that first unit. It's just guys don't have a feel for where the others are. And Fetch has no feel with the second unit, making passes, thinking guys are in certain areas, and they're not. And it's just that is more panicky to me than anything. That's not how you interject, um, you know, life into a power play, in my opinion. You know, it's almost at this point you, you got to dance with the girl you brought to the dance. And – yeah, by changing up things that is such feel based, um, I think it's leading leading to more problems. Yeah, I, I mean, I I hear that. I mean, right now we're under ten percent on the power play through four games in this playoffs, and our and what's even more surprising, I mean, not really if you've watched all the games, but our penalty kills at seventy seven percent. So we were almost a ninety percent team through the regular season. We've put ourselves in so many bad situations. On the penalty kill, we're sitting at 77%. The power play, and I I know these numbers are messed up because we're talking two-second, three-second, blah, 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 power plays. So those are, I'm more interested in power play goals per minute because it's a very skewed stat to say, hey, you had five power plays. Like analytic. Yeah, so... The issue for me is, number one, I don't know why Nino, prior to the postseason, didn't start working into unit one. I want Because for me, I'd like to see Nino on the first unit because net front, winning battles, physically retrieving pucks on the board. And it's not Svetch being the only one to do it. And then you let Ajo, you let um, Svetch... And then you let Tony be the ones moving around, setting up plays. Um, I mean, Rob must just prioritize the, and understandably, because our zone entries are not great. But 
Rod must really prioritize the faceoff that much to have kept Trocheck on the unit for this long. It's in my opinion, he he would be the guy I would take off, but he's the only right-handed faceoff guy with the skill to even conceivably play on that unit. So I get why he's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Nino, he I think would bring it. He hasn't been bad necessarily, but I would like to see Nino. No, I don't think he's been bad either. But Nino's better net front guy. I mean. Trocek is, is a really good player, and I think he's played you know, amicably so far this series. But he's not your net front guy. He, you know, he's he's just not. And so, um, you know, he gets plays back behind the net, and it's just I don't know. It. I, I agree with what you're saying. It, weirdly enough, for as out on Nino as I've been at times, and high on Trocek as I typically am. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and I think not to jump too far ahead, but I think the playoffs and this past regular season are showing why having somebody like Nino in your lineup is super important. Having him with the opportunity to play with Stahl and Foss, that line has been dominant throughout the season. And it's a very important line to have when you're running speed and skill lines on your first and second line. It would be, it would be very hard for this team, I think, to replace Nino because I'm not sure that we have a guy – on the team or in the system that's ready to make the NHL jump that can play that style of play. So when you're looking at, do you keep Trocheck? Do you keep Nino? I mean, we have centers. We have guys ready to make the jump to center. You have Kakanami, you have Jarvis that could potentially move to center down the career. Natchez could potentially make the jump to center. You have Drury down in the AHL. You have Suzuki down in the AHL. When you're looking at it, there are a lot of Vincent Trocheks in the system right now there are not many nino niederreiters and i would have never guessed i would have said that two or three years ago <laughs> that that is not a comment i ever expected to hear or say i mean that's just but truthfully it's it's where we're at right now and um you know they, they've drafted a lot of smaller high school players there's, there's not a lot of you know power forwards coming up through the system i really i think the only one that they've truly developed or had recently is fetch and so um, he's kind of an outlier as is, as is Nino. And as you touched on, it's a, it's a really, you know, enviable situation to have this amount of center depth, uh, with where the organization's at now. Um, you know, not that we want to jump too far into the, where are we going in the off season? Cause I, I, I hope we still have some hockey games to watch here and a, a few more series. Absolutely. All right, All right buddy. So any final there, thoughts? Yeah. From there. I mean, we got, Got game five tomorrow. Should be a packed barn. Should be very loud. I'm excited to see them jump back. Kane sticking with Rafa? I think so. I don't see why not. I mean, besides the first goal in game four, I don't think really many of those are his fault. I'm just hoping the boys come back because – go ahead. No, I said I'm with you. I was just curious. Yeah, and I I just think – Any other lineup changes? I don't – I mean – I don't know. Martinuk should still be out based on the injury. <laughs> you yeah. that? A lot of calls for Chatfield, which I don't hate. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen either. Um, I mean, you'd be replacing Brendan Smith. I don't think you would be replacing Chatfield for Cole. And if you're replacing him for Brendan Smith, you're losing a big physical piece, which I understand that isn't the end-all, be-all. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it. I don't think we're going to see it in game five. Um, 
But if game five doesn't go well and that bottom pairing doesn't play well, I mean, maybe you see a Chatfield, maybe you see a Bear, because we all know that power play two could use some help. So we'll see. That's a good point. Maybe, maybe you do see Bear draw back in. Um, but yeah, I, those are really good points. I, I think the forward uh, lines are kind of going to be what they are here for the next little bit as long as Marty's out. So um, I would assume Stepan would be back in there. Honestly, wouldn't wouldn't hate to see uh, Stephen Lawrence. Um, bigger body can do a few things i don't know could be yeah the the fourth line hasn't stood out to me they haven't stood out to me so i wouldn't be opposed to any changes yep that's true but i wouldn't be opposed to seeing some change there so only time will tell would you um would you do anything with the top two line i would consider shuffling them up i mean rod has shuffled lines throughout the years so there's plenty of opportunity to put guys that have played together together. Like you said, I wouldn't hate Svech, Ajo, Turbo. Um, I don't know. I mean, let's. I think he's going to roll with what he's been rolling with. And if there is not the jump that we need in game five, maybe he blends the lines mid-game. But we'll see. I don't know what Roddy's got up his sleeve. He's got something, man. Guy's the GOAT guys would go yeah and maybe what's up his sleeve is that he thinks we just need to stop taking dumb penalties and we'll be fine and he might be right like candidly i, I think that's the truth <laughs> yeah they do that they're gonna be just fine i i fully believe that and you know just the way the nhl works i wouldn't be surprised if carolina got some calls here um just because of quote game management absolutely well, I think that's it for this episode. Um, hopefully we got some good news to talk about here in the next week. So, uh, Hopefully next time we talk to you guys, we'll uh, be celebrating a series win. Let's hope the boys uh, show up tomorrow night and uh, everybody packs the barn at PNC and it's a pretty rowdy occasion. But uh, here's the good things, my friend. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Go Canes. Go Canes.